Guys, Judy said we're experimenting with something today. We thank you for doing that. We thank you for letting your bell ring for the Lord. I'm mindful that there are many ways that you can have the Scripture with you today. You might have it on your iPhone or you might have it in your hand. We're certainly going to have it on the overhead if, if something doesn't malfunction. But I want us to begin a, a series of sermons on God's amazing grace. And it is amazing. Let's pray. We'll get started. God, even as we are seated here in your house, Lord, we're mindful that none of us deserved for the Son of God to leave heaven and die on the cross for us. But because all of us are sinners, we thank you that he came for each one of us. He came for those yet to be born. He came for those that have died throughout the centuries He came that we might know your amazing grace. And Father, I pray that as as Christians, Lord, we'd not take your grace for granted. And I pray, Father, that our knowledge of your grace would not be limited because we haven't allowed the Word of God to point out what your grace is all about and how it affects our daily lives. Lord, I pray that we would come and huddle around the Scripture today. And God, we would let your Holy Spirit take these words and speak to our hearts about how much you love us. And Lord, we would especially pray for those that have not yet come to faith in Christ, that God, they would, they would hear and know about your amazing grace through your Son. Father, may your amazing grace be more than just one of the great hymns of our faith but may it be our experience on a day-to-day basis. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read these verses to you. Romans 5, beginning with verse 6 through 11. And I want to ask you to, if you've got your Bible in hand or on your iPhone, please please stay at, leave the Scripture there because I'm going to be reading some more passages, Scriptures out of there. But let me read these verses. And first of all, I'm going to read them in the, uh, in the Revised Standard. Verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for. Now, who did Jesus die for? The ungodly. And then Paul says, why one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man would one would dare even to die. But listen to verse 8, and this is one of the most monumental verses that the Apostle Paul penned. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died died for us. Now listen to that verse. If you Wait just a minute, Dave, if you don't mind. I'm sorry. God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners. You know what Paul is trying to say? When you and I were lost, when we were dying in sin, when we were rebelling against God, Jesus died for us. And then he says in verse 9, Since therefore now we are justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. 
Not only so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received our reconciliation. Now, just listen as I read these verses out of the Living Bible, okay? Verse 6. When we were utterly helpless with no way of escape, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners who had no use for him. Verse 7. Even if we were good, we really wouldn't expect anyone to die for us, though, of course, that might be barely possible. Verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Verse 9. And by his blood, he did all this for us as sinners. How much more will he do for us now that he has declared us not guilty? Now, now think about this for just a second. I believe this is what Paul is trying to tell us. If God's grace was so much for us before we got saved, think of how much more his grace or his love is for us after we become his child. Isn't that a remarkable statement or thought? Verse 10, And since when we were enemies, we were brought back to God by the death of his Son, what blessings he must have for us now that we are his friends and he is living within us. Now we rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done in dying for our sins, making us friends of God. I want to share the inspiration for, for these messages, and this will be a series, okay? In recent months, I visited somebody in the hospital who is not one of our church members, but a person who had experienced a lot of trials in recent years. And as I visited with that person, they began to share how God had brought them through and sustained not only them, that person, but also their family through these trials. And this is what that person said. Even though they had been a believer, a Christian for many years, they didn't fully understand the meaning of God's grace until these times of trials. And I want to tell you, that just gripped me. And after I left the person's room, and I'm being honest with you here, I was not only in tears because of empathy for the patient, but I was in tears most of all because they had been a source of revelation for me. Do I fully understand the meaning of God's grace and the fullness of God's grace for us? And folks, that's what I want us to look at in the coming weeks. Would you allow me to share with you in the coming weeks scriptures and testimonies from the Word of God that help us understand the fullness of God's grace? And would you and I allow God to show us how much he loves us? And folks, he has demonstrated how much he loves us by giving us his son. And folks, there's something that I'm afraid that I'm guilty of and probably you are too. We think of God's grace only extending to the point of the day in which we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. But folks, that's just the beginning. Amazing Grace is such an important hymn to our faith as Christians. But folks, I want to point out in those five stanzas that's in our hymn book in just a few minutes that the grace of God 
is not only for us before we're saved and at the moment of our salvation, but the grace of God extends throughout our earthly life and will extend throughout eternity. And that is an overwhelming concept to me. Fully understanding the meaning of God's grace. And so please allow me, and, and sometimes I, I worry that you might say, well, you don't do enough preaching, you do too much teaching. Folks, I want to tell you, I think they go hand in hand. And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ, he spent so much time teaching because to know the Father, we've got to know who he is and what he's like. And folks, when we understand what grace is all about, we'll see who our God and his Son is in a greater way. So let me first of all try and define the word grace. And I'm going to use the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, which is, is a great set of, of books that, that define and give historical background about a lot of words that are found in the Bible. But this is straight out of the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible. This is a definition of God's grace. God's unmerited, free, spontaneous love for sinful man revealed and made effective in Jesus Christ. Now I want to point something out. Grace is one of the most important words in the entire Scripture. And I'm going to say this a number of times, okay? Grace is used mainly in the New Testament, but the concept of grace is seen in the Old Testament, the concept of mercy, the concept of covenant love that God has for us. But folks, here's what I'm trying to point out. It is unmerited love. It is free love. It is spontaneous love. And it is best revealed through God's Son. And let, let me read some words to you from the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 14 to 18. And I, and I hope you're very familiar with these words. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And look at what it says. Full of what? Grace and truth. We have beheld His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. John bore witness to Him and cried, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, for He was before me. And listen to verse 16. And from His fullness have we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only Son, who is a bosom of the Father. He has made Him known. Now let me stop for just a second, okay? How many times have we read these verses? Many, many times. And I want to tell you that phrase at the end of verse 16 always used to just, I thought, duh, I don't understand that. What do you mean grace upon grace? And folks, here's what I believe John is trying to say. When we look at Jesus Christ, it is God's love piled upon God's love, piled upon God's love, piled upon God's love. His grace describes God's love for each of us that cannot be described except to say the more we receive, the more we get. And folks, isn't that true of living the Christian life? Knowing the love of God, the moment of salvation, it's just the beginning of knowing the love of God. And it's something that He wants us to know throughout our life. Let me read verse 16 out of the Amplified Bible, and this won't be on the overhead. Just listen to this. 
For out of his fullness, abundance, we all received, all had a share. We were all supplied with one grace after another and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing and even favor upon favor and gift heaped upon gift. What do you think John is trying to tell us? We cannot fully describe the love that God has for each one of us. And a second statement I want to say about about God's grace. First of all, we defined it. But there's an acrostic. And I believe Jay Dagenhart was the first person that I heard say this. But grace, if you put a word for each letter, God's riches at Christ's expense. Now think about this for just a second. God's riches. God wants to pour all of his riches out on us. Well, how's he going to do that? He does it through his son and what his son has done for us. And this is what Paul is saying in Romans 5. And, and let me tell you a very beautiful verse, I think, that explains God's riches at Christ's expense. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8-9. 2 Corinthians 8-9. And notice again the word grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, what is he talking about? He's not talking about Jesus' bank account or his savings account or how much property he owns. He's talking about being the Son of God in his heavenly throne. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. What does that mean? Jesus left the throne of heaven and came to earth as a man and died on the cross. And so Paul says, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. And folks, I want to tell you one of the greatest riches that you and I can have is the grace of God. Given it his son. So here's the point that we've got to begin with. Jesus is at the very center and heart of God's grace. And let me explain that to you. God's grace is always for sinful man. And God's grace is mentioned from cover to cover in the Bible. The first man and woman of, of the Bible, Adam and Eve, they fell prey to Satan's temptation and sinned. But did God push them aside and say, I no longer love you? You remember, they ran and hid themselves. They felt that they were unworthy to be loved by their Creator God. But God steps in and He seeks them out. He knew where they were. But He seeks them out and He tells them the consequence of their sin, that sin brings judgment. But God also promised His unmerited love to them through an event that would take place in coming history. And that's seen in Genesis 3.15 where God promises a Redeemer, a Savior will come. And I want to ask our children that were at Bible school. The first time the word grace is used in Scripture, young people, do you remember our Vacation Bible School theme verse this year? You remember? Genesis 6.8. Look at this verse. The first mention of grace, although God's already revealed grace to, to Adam and Eve, listen to this, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And folks, throughout the Old Testament, and, and again, most of the time, and in the Hebrew, and I'm not that smart, but I just remember this from Hebrew class, the word mercy is a word that means, that the, in the Hebrew is hesed. 
And again, it's like the word grace, unmerited love, unmerited favor that is free even to sinners. You might say, well, that's just coincidental. No, it is not. This is a theme throughout the Word of God. How about the last verse in the Bible? The last verse in the book of Revelation. Listen to this. And I hadn't thought about it. I just found it this week. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. And here's what I'm trying to say. That from the very beginning of creation to the very end, God's grace will be poured out upon those who will receive it. And folks, if you look at the Bible in a, in, a, in a whole way from beginning to end, all of the Bible speaks about God's unmerited love. And listen to this. The Old Testament points toward the cross. And it does, folks. Throughout the Old Testament, the cross is promised. As we read some of the prophets, surely they did not understand what they were speaking of. But there's a promise that a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior would come. And then as you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they show us the cross that Jesus died on. And then the rest of the New Testament from Acts through Revelation points back to the cross. And the cross is the great symbol of the grace of God. And John 3.16 again sums it up, even though the word grace is not in there. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the word for love in John 3.16, agape, is about unlimited, unconditional, undeserved love. So, folks, what I'm trying to say is all of the Bible is about God's grace. But how is he going to reveal that grace? And again, this is not going to be on the overhead, but I want to, I want to give you uh, another statement out of the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible. The grace of God is first and foremost evidence in the incredibly generous and utterly unexpected action that God took in sending His Son to this world of sinful man. Folks, you see, to understand God's grace, you've got to understand that that grace is wrapped up in His Son. And, and think about all the events of Jesus' life that point out that He had come to reveal God's grace. Jesus said in, in Luke 19.10, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And folks, that is grace. Jesus left heaven's throne to become a man like you and I. But He was without sin. Jesus came of lowly birth as prophesied in the Old Testament, being born of a virgin. Jesus had a compassionate heart that reached out to everyone regardless of their sin. And you know, sometimes I believe as a Christian church we're missing that. We become so angry at sin and we become perhaps even angry at sinners and we wonder this world is getting more and more uh, evil and, and we think, you know, we, we must never stop hating the sinner. We must love the sinner because God does and we must become proof of God's grace and having a compassionate heart like our Lord did. And Jesus revealed God's grace because of his courageous heart. You know, I think there's a misnomer about Jesus 
I think a lot of people think he was a coward. He talked about turning the other cheek. He talked about loving your enemies and praying for them. It takes more courage to love your enemies and to pray for them and turn the other cheek than it does to strike out in anger. But folks, this is God's grace. Jesus' life and ministry, as John says in chapter 1, is about God's grace. And his faithfulness to the Father which led him to the cross to give himself as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus took the nails on the cross for us. And folks, Jesus' mighty resurrection and ascension and promise of his return is about God's grace. But I wrote in my notes after I'd completed that statement, am I worth it? Are we worth it? Are we worth it that God would love sinners like you and I? And the answer to that is yes. And it's told to us in one word, grace, grace, grace. In Isaiah 53, and many of you know this passage well, Listen to how Isaiah prophesies that the Savior is going to come. And listen to how Isaiah prophesies what this Savior is going to do. And as you read, as I read these verses, as you read them on the screen, can you not think that this is about Jesus, the Son of God? Listen to this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But listen to this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before shares is dumb. So opened he not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now listen to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when he makes himself an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Folks, can we not see a picture of Jesus centuries before he came taking upon himself our sins. Folks, that is God's grace. But there's a fourth thing I want to tell you about God's grace as we begin to study. God's grace is free. God's grace is free. If you've still got your Bible open, and it's going to be on the overhead, look at Romans 5, verses 15 through 17. And I want to point something out. Before we start reading, free gift is used five times in these verses. Listen to this. Let's read this. But the free gift is not like the trespass or sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God 
And the free gift and the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the effect of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. Now, folks, listen. Five times free gift. What is he talking about? He is talking about the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the grace that gives us the free gift of righteousness. Folks, and again, I'm not trying to be a theologian up here today. I'm just trying to simply share the truth with you. And as I was studying this about salvation and God's grace being free, it suddenly dawned on me it has to be free. Now think about this for just a second. Can any of us here earn God's love, His grace? Can we earn it? God is holy. We're sinners. Even on our best day, we don't deserve and can't earn God's love. It's got to be free, folks. And secondly, it's got to be free because we can't do enough good works to balance out our account. Folks, think about it this way. If we put our good works on a scale, would it be good enough to balance it out the bad things we've done in our life? And the answer to that is no. Folks, it's got to be free. Our works will not get us into heaven. Joining a Baptist church is a good thing. It won't get you into heaven. Being baptized in the baptistry is a good thing. It won't get you into heaven. But what will get you into heaven is the grace of God. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by what grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is what? The gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. I'm not saying don't join the Baptist church. I'm not saying don't be baptized. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the first thing that must happen before we join the church and be baptized is that we have asked Jesus Christ to come in our heart. Salvation, grace, has got to be free. We can't earn it. We can't do enough good works. And we can't achieve salvation. Listen to Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's one of the most powerful verses. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. As we stand in the holiness of God, folks, we'll look at ourselves and say, how could a holy God love a terrible sinner like I am, like we are? And Isaiah goes on to say, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Folks, salvation is free to all those who receive it. But here's something else I want you to hear. And someone has said this many years before I did, salvation is free, but it is not cheap. And let me tell you why it's not cheap. If you've still got your Bible open to Romans chapter 5, let me again read to you verse 6. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
And I would get you to underline that phrase. Christ died for the ungodly. And then look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Salvation is free to all who receive it, but it costs Jesus everything as a man. And folks, to me, that's why God's grace is truly amazing. I want to ask you to do something. Would you get your hymn book out and would you turn it to page 104? I'm just about finished for the morning, okay? For this service. 104. Amazing Grace. You know, how many times have we sang this? A bazillion times probably, isn't it? And as we sing it, are we listening to what God is speaking to us through that hymn? In the coming weeks, I want to examine God's amazing grace revealed in at least five ways. Look at the overhead and look at your hymn book, okay? Number one, I want us to look at God's saving grace. Listen to the first stanza. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. God's saving grace. Secondly, God's grace that brings peace. Listen to the second stanza. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Wow. You know, being afraid of God is part of His grace to us. When we recognize He is holy, we're sinful. But guess what? That same grace that points out to us that we are sinners also points out we have a Savior. So so by grace, my fears are relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour first believed. A third thing that we're going to learn is God's grace that leads us and upholds us through trials. Look at stanza three. Through many dangerous toils and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And a fourth thing that we'll learn is God's grace, as he has promised in his word, will be with us throughout our lives. There's not going to be a day of our life as believers that God's grace will not be with us. And the Word of God promises that. Listen to stanza 4. The Lord has promised good to me. His Word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. And the fifth thing we're going to learn, God's grace will be experienced by the believer throughout eternity. Amen. Listen to the fifth verse. When we've been there, how many years? 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Folks, there's no way as a mortal man with limited abilities that I can describe the greatness of the grace of God. But I hope in the coming weeks that we'll open the Word of God and we'll let God's grace flow from His Word and from those who have already lived this life 
walking hand in hand with God. You know, one of the great statements of a person of faith, and it's on the front of your bulletin, and it's the last verse in, uh, in Psalms 23. Surely goodness and mercy, Old Testament grace, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, we're never going to get out from under God's grace. It's going to be with us throughout our life, and then we're going to enjoy it through eternity. Does that, does that not touch our hearts? Can we believe that God would love us that much? But He absolutely does. The beginning point is to allow Jesus to come into your heart and be your Savior. And I want to encourage you. God's grace, His unmerited, free, spontaneous love is real if you'll simply acknowledge that you are a sinner and believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and trust Him as your personal Savior. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for these moments that we could be in Your Word. And God, I do pray that we've learned about Your grace. God, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would take these writings of Scripture that we've read. And God, I pray that we would truly apply them to our lives. Lord, perhaps even to some of us as Christians, this love seems, Lord, unbelievable. How could God love me throughout my life and then allow me to dwell with Him forever? <laughs> but that's truly amazing grace. But God, I pray that if there's someone here that has not yet trusted Christ as Savior or they've trusted Christ as Savior but never confessed Him before men, I pray, Father, that as we stand together and sing about this amazing grace, that they would come to faith in You and confess You before men. Have Your way and Your will in these moments of invitation. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.